What's up, everyone, and welcome to The Corporate Bartender. Happy late Valentine's Day to everybody that does that sort of thing. Speaking of the holidays, we're getting caught up with the last episode that we recorded in 2023, and we're super excited to have Jeff Skipper on the program. Don't know Jeff? Well, you will in about an hour. Jeff is an international change leadership consultant who's been focused on the people side of change for over 25 years. He's the author of Dancing with Disruption, Leading Dramatic Change During Global Transformation, and we're going to dig in. You're going to hear about all sorts of things, hot dogs, Ikea, change frameworks. This conversation was amazing, and I think you're going to dig it. So buckle up, TC Beers, grab your favorite cocktail, and let's get right on into it with Jeff Skipper from today's TCB. Welcome to Sky Team's The Corporate Bartender, where we gather some of the best HR and people leaders to discuss what's happening on the people side of business. Now pull up a stool, belly up to the bar, and join us for The Corporate Bartender. Welcome, everybody. It's Wednesday. You know what that means. It's your favorite day and mine. It's Corporate Bartender Day. It is, can you believe it, the 20th of December of 2023. This is our last TCB episode of 2023 because next week is Christmas and the week after that is New Year's. And we are going to be taking some time off to recharge the old batteries and produce some of these backlog of episodes that I've got sitting on my hard drive so I can get those out. This is the 185th time we have convened this group of awesome people, and I'm excited. Today's going to be a good day. We've got a guest. His name is Jeff Skipper, and he's the guy in your display that you don't recognize. He's the <laughs> author of Dancing with Disruption, Leading Dramatic Change During Global Transformation. It's a big topic. So we're looking forward to getting into that with Jeff. He's got a framework around leading change. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the difference between managing change and leading change, because I think we use those terms interchangeably from time to time. That's going to be a good conversation. We've got guests stacking up for 2024. First guest, this is the 11th of January, Lori Maison. She's going to be here. She's the author of Leadership Revolution, The Future of Developing Dynamic Leaders. I'm a sucker for a good framework, so I'm looking forward to that conversation. <laughs> hey, Ruby. January 24th, Charlie Gilkey <gasps> is going to be here. He's the author of Team Habits, How Small Actions mm -hmm. Lead to Extraordinary Results. Uh, Ruby and I were on Charlie's show in the lead up to the launch of You, Me, We. It was the first podcast that we did for the book, and we did it together, and that was fun. Charlie's a good guy. And uh, he has a pretty, a pretty good framework as well. And just because it's frameworks aplenty here coming up at the end of January on the 31st, we have Marsha Acker who has this book. It's called Build Your Model for Leading Change. And it's like a workbook. Mm -hmm. And I really like it. I've been flipping through it. And I see a lot of ways that we can implement this into the work that we do here at Sky Team. So guests aplenty. I've got more. I figured... Getting us through January is probably enough for today. So with that, we will turn our attention to Jeff Skipper. Let's uh, let's give him a big TCB welcome, shall we? 
Just seeing if you're paying attention. All right, let's give him a big TCV welcome. Are you ready? Here we go. We dance them in, Jeff. That's how we do it. Love it. <laughs> awesome. Jeff is an international change leadership consultant. He's worked in all kinds of industries. He's done this for over 25 years. He was one of those one of those blue tie guys at IBM for 12, for, for 12 years. So he's done the big corporate thing. He's done the outside on his own thing. And uh, he's from the nicest place on earth. He's from Calgary, Canada. You're right. Good day. He's the author, as I said before, of Dancing with Disruption, Leading Dramatic Change During Global Transformation. And today we're going to talk about his framework. What does it mean to lead change and why is it important that we focus in on a few details that are oft overlooked? But before we get into that, Jeff, we always want to know a little bit about the backstory, because I don't imagine that in your childhood days, you said, I'm going to grow up to be a change agent and expert in the art of leading change. So tell us a little bit about your backstory and how you found yourself here with us today. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, I, I started off into uh, my university days thinking I'm going to be a sociologist. Um, so I'm going to study groups and, and how they work. And uh, into my very first university course, I hated it. It was, it was <laughs> awful. Um, the, oh, this is no good. I'm already off track for my career. So I flipped over to psychology, lots of overlap similarities and, and really enjoyed that. But there was one course in organizational psychology, which is the mix of business um, into psychology, and I fell in love. So here's this practical application of uh, these psychological concepts to really helping organizations perform at their best. And I just love the, the, um, the idea of being able to help organizations get the most out of their people and help people feel most fulfilled at work. And off I went from there, ended up, as you said, at IBM for 12 years before going out on my own as an independent. Um, and it's been nonstop. Fantastic. So change, I mean, it's a big meaty topic. How did this become your focal point for this book? Well, it, uh, during my time at IBM, I was faced with a pretty significant change. Um, so I was uh, uh, almost a year into my job. And um, one of my first assignments was, Jeff, we would like you to help write some training around uh, one of our most important products, the AS400. And I said, what's that? Mm -hmm. I had no idea. I remember the AS400. Right. I, I had no technology background. I ended up in their uh, career department or their HR team and said, I don't know if I'm in the right place. And they actually put me through a battery of uh, interest profiles and figure out, well, what might be a good fit for you? Um, and number one was bus driver. Um, I freely admit that fact. Um, <laughs> Fantastic. I, I, I think that happened because it tapped in. I, I loved people. I loved working with people and I would meet people all day long on the bus. Um, anyways, I decided <laughs> to ignore the um, casual advice, which was maybe you should look for something somewhere else. I stuck it out and ended up falling in love with technology and the fact that so many people really needed help adapting as, as technology changed and they need to figure out what to do with it or whether to do these massive upgrades or implement new systems. How do we get our people on board? And I'm like, hey, 
I can use that background, all that study I did in psychology uh, for good and not evil. Um, so, <laughs> so, so why not really embrace it? And um, I started out in their performance consulting practice. How do we get the, the greatest degree of performance out of people eventually moving into um, strategy and change as well? So, so that's the short version. I, I had to myself embrace, am I going to make technology part of my career or not? And I, I said, yes. And, and uh, it's been a successful journey. I love it. I love it. So change. I mean, we we talk about it a lot here on the show and in our regular work lives. You know, we say there are three truths, right? Death, taxes, and change. That's the right. only thing we can count on. Um, and we're led to believe that change is hard because people don't like it. Oh, is that true, Jeff? Is change no. hard? That's that's like a trigger phrase for me. You, <laughs> you, you hear it so often. Change is hard. I have fellow consultants in this domain that say it regularly, and honestly, I want to you know hold them aside and have a little conversation with them. Um, <laughs> well, so, well so Jeff's we, a hockey player, everybody. So that you know what that means in hockey talk. Pull them aside. Right. He's going to get fined for fighting after that. Fined for fighting. <laughs> yes. Um, so we, we do hear this in media. I've tracked some of the headlines. You see it come up fairly regularly. You know, people don't like change. They're resistant. And the fact of the matter is that's completely untrue. I mean, you just look at what happens when, a uh, well, not as much these days, but when a brand new Apple device was announced, people would line up. Yeah. Um, we Now, you know, you don't line up. But when we do that upgrade, it happens once in a while. We need a new phone. Does it come with a manual? No. Are we able to figure it out? Yes. If we need help, what do we do? We ask a, a, one of our kids or a grandchild, <laughs> or, or we go to YouTube and we figure it out. Yeah. Um, people want the new phones. They want those changes. They want changes that have an advantage for them. So people are constantly looking for opportunities in the environment to do better. Um, uh, we talk about shiny object syndrome, right? We get distracted by things. Why is that? Because your brain is tuned for change. You're looking for it all the time. Mm -hmm. When something moves the environment, we immediately go there because, yes, it could be a threat. And say, well, it's fight or flight. Right. But it's not always fight or flight. Sometimes it's flourish that, hey, that's really interesting. It's entertaining. Or I could make use of that. I'm going to go there now. So we embrace change all of the time. We just don't think about it. Mm -hmm. That, yeah, that's, that's, great. that's flipping it over, right? It's not that change is hard. We crave it mm -hmm. on some uh, evolutionary level. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So it's easy to get caught up, you know, in change initiatives. When, when things happen, corporate restructures, we move things around. It's easy to get like all mired in the details about which you largely can't control. Right. Right. So as a leader faced with a change effort, how do you simmer down and get your mind around it before the train leaves the station? From a leader's perspective or from an employee's perspective? From a leader's perspective, okay. especially in getting those employees to get on that train. Okay. So you said a very important word um, when, when you put in, when you went into this line of inquiry and you used the word control. And I'm going to throw it out there now, folks, listen to all the words that start with the letter C as we go through this interview, because you're going to find it interesting. Um, but control is key because um, 
that when people do start to resist or they fear or they get upset, it's often because they feel a lack of control. Mm-hmm. So with so much going on, um, what's happening is I feel like I can no longer accurately predict my future. Right. So generally, when I'm coming into work the next day, I know what's going to happen, the things I'm going to need to do. But as I start to look out three months, six months, it starts getting murky. And I, I don't know what that's going to look like because some new projects are on the horizon. And I know there's going to be um, um, a realignment of people and, and there might be a shift in my reporting relationship, which could disrupt the power structure. And now I just don't know. And so that that unpredictability creates discomfort. Now, some of us are are totally okay with that. Like ambiguity is okay, adds a bit of excitement, um, but many are not. That's very uncomfortable. So um, part of the work I do with organizations is to say, find the anchor. So when it feels like everything is moving around me, it's it's I'm in the middle of the storm, it's a hurricane, I need something to hold on to that will not change, that fosters a sense of control and predictability. So I know when I come in tomorrow, that one thing will not change. And that's a key learning I've I've really tried to reinforce with organizations is it's not just about educating people around what's going to happen to make the future predictable. It's also about telling them what's not going to change, right? Yeah. So so they know what they can hang on to and count on going forward. I, we talk a lot about whether it's one person who's going to have a you know organizational change or a team that's changing or a, a bigger across the organization kind of change. I always repeat the that kind of framework of stop, start, continue. Like to, yes. to whatever degree you can define what's going to stop what's going to start and what's going to continue mm-hmm. so that they have at least a place to start from. And sometimes the conversation is, we're not exactly sure what we're going to stop, but I can tell you what's going to continue, right? Or, or start whatever, right? And so you may not know every piece of every detail, but just acknowledging and, and yeah. giving them a, a starting place, because that's that's what I find that it's it's not the change that's hard, it's uncertainty that's uncomfortable. And so the more certainty you bring, the quicker people can, you know, move through. Yeah. Right. So folks, to help you with your count, we've got control and they've got, Lori just said, continue or continuity. Continuity. Both are really important as Mm -hmm. we're looking at change um, and how we're going to help people through it. Um, Lori, you also said we don't always know what some of the changes are going to be that, you know, even, even if I can tell you some things, other things will remain murky, but just letting folks know that we all recognize that not everything is defined yet. We can't hundred percent predict what the future is going to look like. The fact that you're telling me that, and now both of us share this reality that we're going to work some things out as we go is still reassuring to me. Yeah. Yep. Like it's not a blind spot that we haven't thought about it. (laughs) Correct. Exactly. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in your book, Dancing with Disruption, you have a framework for leading change. What what does that look like? How do we how do we embrace this framework? Um when you get into this domain of leading change, there are so many different methodologies and 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 I'll say frameworks and approaches. I really try to actually take a um um, a specific methodology agnostic approach. So, okay. so I've got these 12 strategies, 
regardless of whether someone will recognize uh, ProSci as a brand, whether you come out of the ProSci school or you come from the AIM school or you use Cotter, uh, these same 12 elements will show up in some shape or form, regardless of, of what your people have been educated with. Um, but in looking over all the projects I've been a part of, whether they were technology implementations with IBM or they were restructurings or it's part of a merger, um, these 12 elements kept showing up. So just briefly, uh, always start with setting out the objective. So, you know, chapter one is set a clear goal, but then into your stakeholder identification, who are we talking about? How are they impacted? That is, uh, impact assessment, uh, developing your plan, actually leading the change, executing that plan, communicating along the way. And then we get into some really important specifics. I spent a fair amount of, amount of time talking about removing barriers. Um, and that the chapter that comes after it on resistance, they really go hand in hand. But if I can be proactive about figuring out barriers, I can reduce the amount of resistance. And then wrapping things up with measurements. How do I know I've been successful? How do I sustain success beyond, you know, there's always some transition point. How do we keep that going? And then finally, a step that's often missed, and that's cleanup. Um, so we, we saw this uh, a lot during the pandemic of, you know, there were still signs on the door a long time saying, uh, must wear a mask, must sanitize, and you look through the window and no one's doing that stuff anymore. Uh, but there's still- I saw one in out. a jetway yesterday, said stand <laughs> six feet apart. Right. Yeah. It's like they put those stickers on the floor and they use clay, crazy glue. They just won't come off. Right. Well, I, I loved that, that your program is a 12-step program, as all good programs are. Um, and, and in strategy number one, you said set a goal, but the title of the chapter is start at the end. And it made me think of, of the change curve, William Bridges' change yeah. curve, mm -hmm. um, that we use a lot. <clears throat> and basically the, the hook in that and that model is that change doesn't start with the beginning. It starts with letting go of the old way. There's a grief right. moment, right? It, it, is, it begins with the ending. And I think that's a thing that a lot of people try to gloss over when they're dealing with a change effort. Mm -hmm. um, and I've seen it in something as, as you know, quote unquote, meaningless as we're going to update we're going to update our, our main software that we use to do our jobs. And, you know, the buttons are going to be in a different space and the workflow is going to be slightly altered. And people grieve that the old way of doing things. Oh, Eric, you're so right. I, I used to say, if you just change the color of the screen, some people will think that you're threatening their job. Yeah. And then they laugh a bit and realize, yeah, that's kind of true. Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. Because again, I don't know what all the implications of that. Sure, it looks like just a color change, but what else is going on? Right. Maybe that I don't know about. Um, so yeah, I, I, your comment is, is so important today because one of the big benefits that came out of the pandemic was it unlocked a greater ability to talk about our emotions, what we're feeling. So we had this whole... Um, thread around well-being and ment mental health um, in the workplace. So now I can feel a little freer and I run exercises around this. Let's talk about the loss that comes with change. Mm -hmm. and, and that's controversial for some other practi practitioners saying it's not the same as losing someone. It's not the same as mourning. Like, are you kidding? You talk to yeah. some people around how they feel about change and you'll yeah. see you know, that roller coaster of emotions uh, often associated with the uh, Kubler-Ross's uh, yep. diagram of mourning stages, right? Yep. Uh, but that 
the level of anxiety people feel, um, you know, the pulling back that all of a sudden they're, they're, they're retreating from others and they need time to process in order to reach a state of acceptance. That's absolutely applicable to what people are feeling. I, I learned the, the, uh, that bridges model, right. Endings kind of neutral zone and then yeah. beginnings. And mm-hmm. what I loved about it was it's, it's a nice linear path on paper, very rarely is it linear in anybody's brain or heart, right? That it's it's like a trapeze for for some people, and some people it's a it's a quick trip, and for others it's a very painful back and forth, and and so giving space for people to process it their own way while still needing to get right things moving and to be encouraging and and not get mm-hmm. frustrated with why am I having to explain this again for this person. And and the other piece of it is you've got that change curve going on, but what other six things are happening in their life that you don't know about that maybe they're in the process of dealing with the change? Yeah, and so it, yeah it can be conflated with personal things and yeah. Yeah, so we only have one bucket of energy or or what sustains us in terms of resilience. So if I'm dealing with parents who are ill, if I'm raising kids and doing homeschooling, Uh, Maybe they've got some issues developmentally. Where's my energy going? So now I come into the workplace and you're asking me to embrace change. Does that require more or less energy? Well, we know the answer is more. Um, And what if I don't have the reserves? So is it the workplaces or is it the leader's responsibility to be aware of what that individual's capacity is and what else they might be trying to balance? I think the answer is yes. Um, Interesting, there's... um, uh, a retail chain in the UK called Timpsons, and they have a director of happiness. Mm. And she is quoted as saying she spends fully one third of her time working on the financial situation of her employees. So mm. helping renegotiate loans, renegotiate cell phone contracts, directing them to other resources to help them get credit counseling, that kind of thing. And and so I often pose to audiences, why do you think that role exists? I mean, that's a significant investment by the company uh, to help people with their personal finances because it bleeds into the workplace. It, it yeah. has an impact. If folks are not worrying about their finances, can they focus more on doing a good job and satisfying their customers? Absolutely. So we can't draw these hard and fast lines between what's happening in your personal life and what's happening at work. And there are limits around that, of course, uh, but it's all life. And again, we only have that that one yeah. uh, resource to draw upon to you know invest our energy in changes, work or or home. We got to balance those things out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny thinking about that. All the changes that people are dealing with at any one snapshot moment in time, and <clears throat> as leaders, a lot of times we know stuff before everybody else knows stuff. Yeah. And I've worked with many an executive who is frustrated when he or she make the announcement of the change mm-hmm. and everybody's not right on board yeah, with it. Right. They're like, yeah. why, why? It makes sense. It's the right choice. How come everybody's not on board? Yeah. Yeah. And this is the, the RTC issue is runway to change. So your runway may have been a year or longer. You've been thinking about this a long time. Um, right. And then now we've given our employee groups, you know, a week, a month, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> please get up. What's, and you yeah. hit it, you know, what's taking so long. Right. Uh, but 
But leaders fail to reflect on the fact you've had a much longer timeline to adjust your thinking and prepare. 100%. So, and you know what I'm thinking about, Eric, because we've been talking so much and, and y'all use it in Sky Team with a lot of teams, and I'm rolling this into Cable Labs with our teams with, with looking at disk profiles, personality mm-hmm. types and, and preferences and tendencies. And I have to think that there's some some level of propensity to adjust or resist that can come with the with the disk style too right that perhaps the ones that are more biased to action right that yeah. that they're more like okay i get it let's go and yeah. others who are like whoa so not enough time or data here <laughs> right yeah. um as a c i can speak to that right yeah. I, yeah. I will resist until i can't any longer Mm-hmm. Right, because I'm always looking for the opportunity to collect one more piece of data, just a little more information, <laughs> and then I'll be comfortable making that shift. Which, in reality, isn't true because I don't want to. I don't want to make the shift, so I'm just delaying the inevitable by putting it off for as long as I can. Um, I know. I, th- I think that's an interesting thing to think about layering into it. Just like considering what's going on in somebody's whole life, like yeah. what are their pre- what are their preferences? Mm-hmm. Do they have this proclivity to move, mm-hmm. or are they data people? Are they worried about how it's going to impact other humans, mm-hmm. or are they more focused on tech uh, crossing tasks off the list? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's interesting. Yeah, no consultant uh, is worth their salt unless they're good at doing two by two matrix. Right. You got to be able to hundred percent. Right? right. Right. So. So uh, the caution I always give, I I think these tools are useful in terms of looking at personality, but even if we put on one continuum, openness to change, which is a good one, um, Mm -hmm. but then put on the other axis, something that's about context. Because even if I take Eric, who wants more data, in certain scenarios, he'll jump at the change. Just depends what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, So so we always have to keep that in mind that um, personalities do tell us a fair bit about an individual, but the situation, the context matters a lot. And then I can even throw in, and we don't want to get beyond a two by two matrix. It's too complicated. But I throw in, you know, Lori's comment around what else is going on in your life. So even Eric's open to change. Eric likes change in lots of situations, and this is one. But his capacity at the moment is right around zero. Now we yeah. have a problem. By the way, another C word there, capacity. Just know that. Mm-hmm. I love it. Hey, hey, Jeff, there's a two by two matrix in your book right here. Hey, yes. <laughs> page 31. <laughs> it's my favorite. So uh, t- talk to us about this. Give us the context around around this as as your two by two matrix. Yeah, and I'll, I'll use a, um, a metaphor to help out with this um, or a story anyways. Um, so we, we talk about Joe's hot dog stand. Now, Joe's been working downtown serving hot dogs for the last you know, no one even knows. It's just been a fixture in downtown forever. And one day the city planner comes to him and says, Joe, love your hot dogs. Um, but I got to tell you, we're ripping up the sidewalk here. We got pipes that need to go underneath. Um, so we're going to have to move you one block away. And he goes, he looks down the street and says, oh, we got an even sidewalk. Uh, I have no problem moving my cart down there. I see lots of people there. So no problem. Off I go. He moves. A week later, the same city planner comes back, has another hot dog and says, Joe, Unfortunately, we found that the the situation down there is much worse. We're going to actually be ripping up the roads for you know a radius of six, block, six blocks in multiple directions, and we're going to have to move move you to the other side of downtown. 
Now, Joe's never been to the other side of downtown. He doesn't know what it's like. So now we look at our matrix. Joe's thinking about the difficulty of the change. Now, of course, what we do as humans is we tend to catastrophize a little bit. Yes. So what are all the potential things that could go wrong? Well, um, there's a whole bunch of one-way streets. It's going to be hard getting that area. Um, I have um, my supplies, my buns and my sausages dropped off every morning. I don't know if they can access that place. Um, I don't know what the foot traffic is. Maybe it's low. I don't know if they speak the same language in that area of the city. Is there ethnic considerations I haven't taken into account? And I go on and on and on and on. Desirability, well, based on all that, it's probably pretty low. So I'm perceiving high difficulty, low desirability. Is this gonna be a difficult change for Joe? So by doing this, I can do it really quickly with any kind of change. Um, this is what I do with my clients is, from the perspective of your people, when you've yeah. served up a change, do they see it as thumbs up, thumbs down in terms of desirability? Do they see if there is there something in it for me or no, this is going to be net pain. And a lot of the changes internally these days are net pain. Yeah. And how difficult? Um, are there a lot of obstacles on the way? Can I envision my success on the other side of this change? Right. And we started out talking about, is the future vague and fuzzy out of control? The more out of control, the more fuzzy, the higher level of difficulty. And I end up in that bottom right corner of that matrix. So we got a tough change. Resistance is likely to be high. And it's not necessarily that they're digging in their heels. It's they're afraid. Yeah. And, and now with this matrix, and this is what the book goes into, it gives you, okay, based on the quadrant, here are the types of tactics that you can apply to help people through that. Awesome. I, I love that. I really reduce. need a hot dog now. That's, that's the issue. <laughs> yeah. Reduce and reframe the change exactly where I was going. Is that is that the idea? Of we, we use the phrase called chunk it down. Like it feels too big. You got to make it. You got to chunk it down. Yeah. To do this, I, I, I call it the Ikea principle. So um, <laughs> you, you go to Ikea and you buy furniture. Now, if you're like me, you're not very good at, at handy stuff. I'm, I'm not. So if Ikea only gave you the picture on the box of the bookcase and said, build this, I mean, it might look like a bookcase at the end, but you wouldn't want to put anything on it. <laughs> but what does Ikea do? They start with step one and say, can you find these two boards and a couple screws and stick them in there? Step two, can you join this part to this part? You know, only, you know, only two joints. And I could do that. And step three, oh, I could do that. And four, five, six. And by step 237, you have a bookcase. <laughs> but I never... You have a brand new Keflavik. <laughs> <laughs> How did you know? Uh, um, but you get it, right? So... So what I've actually done is I've taken your eyes off of the end result, which is yeah. scary. I don't know how to get there, yeah. but I can do step one, two, and three, generate some quick wins, generate some confidence, C word there, um, and, and off we go. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I like that. I like that a lot. The Ikea, You said it was the Ikea principle? Is the that Ikea what it's principle. I love it. I actually Hello. wrote to Ikea to see if I could put their, their instruction manuals in my presentation. I'm still waiting to hear back. <laughs> uh, well, in the meantime, you should have a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> so and I think something sorry, that you said, though, that is super, super important, and I reiterate this to leaders, it's not from your perspective. 
It's from their perspective. Is this difficult? Is this desirable? Not from your perspective, from their perspective, right? So there's a little walk in their shoes moment of, you know, reality check there. And you have to coach them through that, Lori. I've, I've run that, that, I use that matrix as an exercise in workshops and have executives do it. I give them a scenario and they're all happy to go through it and say, yeah, we got it figured out. There's no one in that bottom right-hand quadrant. <laughs> like, mm, I want you to really think about, and I give, you know, give them the Joe's hot dog example and they start, going, oh, mm-hmm. I see. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they have to be coached through that. Yeah. Yep. So Jeff, in your book, you walk through the steps, the 12 steps here, the strategies, mm-hmm. um, and you parallel it to things that governments tried to do during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And you you gave a grade, a letter grade like we got in school for each one of these strategies. And there's a couple that got D's. <laughs> they were not executed well. So lead the change got a D and remove mm-hmm. barriers got a D. So two-part question. Are those the steps or the strategies that you see missed most often? Or was this sort of a one-off and this is just your assessment of how we did facing uncertainty and an unknown situation? Yeah, I, you know, it, it, is that consultant answer? It depends, right? This this was <laughs> such a unique situation. Um, and I would say the odds were stacked against the world to do a good sure. job on this. You had so much disparity in, in points of view. Uh, but to your question, uh, lead to change, got a D. I think I, I talk extensively about the fact that you can't split the role of leadership. So the pandemic beautifully illustrates where you have so many people claiming to be experts, mm. nobody knows who to trust, or they yeah. picked the wrong person. And I'm not going to say who, because that's then judgmental, right? I'll be canceled in no time. Um, <laughs> but the second one around remove barriers is often a big miss for the reasons we just talked about. Um, we're thinking as leaders, actually, I go back to your example, Eric. So yeah, we've been thinking about this a long time. I'm going to announce this. The best thing is going to be great for the organization. Why aren't people getting it? But we didn't stop to think about what are all their barriers? Why can't they see themselves mm. being successful on the other side of the change? Back to Joe's hot dog stand. Um, again, the pandemic illustrated this great. Okay, if we just tell people that the vaccine is good for them, they will get it. Mm. What's that go? Yeah. <laughs> right. So now let's go barriers. It's simple stuff. Language in in our own city. We had a, a major part of the city, very uh, uh, multicultural. And I think they ended up having to, quote, advertise in 18 different languages just to try and to get the numbers up. Then transportation. How would people get to centers to get vaccination? Um um, uh, not just route and access, but even affordability. Some I can't afford to pay for a bus ticket. That's going to food. Um, so, right. so that often is a miss around remove barriers. If we translate that into the work world, language still applies. So leaders often speak in terms that don't resonate with with employees. It's um, ROI. You know, we want to get that return. We're looking at market share growth. And we're like, yeah, but what does that mean for me and my family? Right. Don't care. So, uh, you know, I, I spend quite a bit of time talking about the importance of storytelling through the book. Um, and that's how we 
help people connect with where we're trying to go. You got to tell a story. You got to make it about people and making their lives better. That's good stuff. Yeah, that's great. When, in your experience in working with organizations struggling with leading through change, um, where do you see outside of removing barriers that we just hit on leaders commonly missing the ball? They just get it wrong. Um, I'll build upon that last comment. I think it often is around the launch. Um, so the, the thought that if I tell them where we're going and I present good data about it, that they'll all get on board. So I, I always like to tell, talk about my wife here. She doesn't mind. I've got permission. <laughs> um, so when it comes to vacation time, um, we have gone to Mexico several times. But if I propose Mexico, non-starter, we will never go there again as a couple. Why is that? Because one day at work, one of her colleagues talked about something that happened to her friend. Uh, sorry, something that came from her friend that came from her uncle that came from the uncle's nephew about right a situation they faced, faced in Mexico. It wasn't just bad. It was threatening. They felt insecure while they were there. So I can tell my wife, 99% of the people come back from Mexico say they had a phenomenal time. Yeah. But the one story has an outsized impact. It's the outlier, but because it invokes an emotion, mm. it's way more memorable and it has a stronger influence on behavior. So again, let's use that for good, not evil. Um, so when we're in organizations, I work with leaders to help them construct a narrative around their strategy. And, and my challenge is always, I don't care what it is. You're doing an upgrade to Microsoft Windows. We can tell a story about that. I can connect that to the way you um, execute your business and how you deliver to your customers, whether it's an internal customer or an external one. We can demonstrate how this helps make their life better or prevents it from getting worse. And that's value. So I think leaders have to get much, much better at storytelling. It's an area of discomfort for many of them of, well, it feels like I'm talking to children. No, 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 that's, <laughs> that's, you're not doing it right. Yeah, I love that. Any, anything that impacts emotion is going to drive behavior. We know that from how the brain works. Right. And so I think you can inadvertently trigger emotion if you're not thoughtful about how you communicate, the way you communicate, the consistency of it, um, you know, the whole got to say it nine times in all different modes and, yes, and yes. all of that, right? Because inconsistencies breeds suspicion and lack of specificity breeds skepticism, right? <laughs> So, okay, yeah. folks, so we're going to introduce our next C word, and that is credibility. So mm. Lori's hitting it right on the head. Um, employees have a very strong BS meter, uh, and it's not just, oh, what you're saying doesn't make sense to me. It's also you're leaving out some important details. I don't know what they are yet, but I know they're there, and I know they're not favorable. So if a leader steps up and regardless of you know a great story or facts presented, but don't talk about the pain of the journey and folks know there's going to be pain. Your credibility is, is being hampered significantly. Lori, great point. Um, so, so yeah, folks are very sensitive to that um, because there's so much that goes on in our world that, you know, misleads people. We're all bombarded with scams all the time so that they're very sensitive to where people may be misleading them. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. All right, Jeff. I'm going to hit on one that we all have to deal with. And nobody likes to talk about. The pandemic showed us this. This is some people. Some people just resist. They're not going to do it. I don't want to do it. I'm not changing. You're lying to me. Whatever my story is, I'm resisting the change. What do you do with those people who just won't buy in? So, So first of all, the way you phrase it's important. We already know who those people are going to be when we roll out the change. They're pretty consistent. Um, takes us back to Lori's comment around personality. Often that's, you know, they're suspicious by nature. Um, the problem is when they're disruptive. Yeah. So, so let's understand that if, um, if those folks go unchallenged, then they're likely to be contagion. C word. Oh, another C word. (laughs) So, um, you know, even if I'm not a, a resistor, if I see that Eric is digging in his heels and nothing happens to him, maybe there's a reason for that. Right. Maybe Eric's right. Mm-hmm. And what will I do? I will say, I should wait. So yeah. my point to leaders is when you when you don't deal with heavily resistant people, and I'm going to go over that in a moment, um, then it causes other people to hesitate. And at minimum, the return you're expecting on your change is going to be delayed and time is money. So can you really afford that? Now, I said heavily resistant because we have to treat resistance as a continuum. Yes, some people by their nature will always dig in their heels. That's who they are. And they need to be corrected in some way. You got to work with them. Maybe they didn't get the message around the benefits and that needs to be presented in different ways. But at some point, it's also about consequence. (laughs) <laughs> um, and hey, if you can't support it in uh, in a fashion that doesn't disrupt people, um, then we're going to have to look at doing something else. And yes, that might end up in termination. Um, but on the other end of the resistance scale is people who are confused, that are fearful, um, that um, they know what to do, but maybe the training was crappy. That's not a C word I want in the list. Um, <laughs> but we know that like how much of our training has gone virtual and we lose some of the fidelity that happens in the classroom. We can overcome it, but there's a lot of bad training out there. So you want me to develop customer service skills and there's no role plays. I just read about a pro- procedure. That's not going to get me there. So resistance on a continuum Yes, people dig in their heels. Most people just need some coaching. And that is a C word I want on the list. That's an important responsibility of our leaders today. Many do not know how to do it well, uh, but they need to develop skills as coaches. This is how we help people through change. Is there a wrong way to deal with resistors? (laughs) You know, it's funny. I was leading a workshop and, and just went through exactly what I... Uh, just uh, talk to you guys about Amber said, oh, you know what? I got the whole group of employees together. And when the person um, stated their objection, I called them out on the carpet and asked if anyone else agreed with them. And and luckily, they all said no and backed away. <laughs> so, so like you got lucky because public shaming is not the way to go around this. Um, you need It needs to be one-on-one in a safe space. You might need to let the person shout a bit. Um, and then be very clear around next steps. Oof. Yeah, that's a risky, that's a risky <laughs> gambit. <laughs> Don't try this at home, folks. 
Uh, well, and ask, I think that's, oh, that's sorry, part of the just allowing people to have a reaction and not freaking out about, you know, sometimes I feel like it's better for somebody to actually extrovert their reaction in the moment than yeah. to put on a brave face and then you don't really know what's going on. Yeah, you it's know? cathartic. And, yeah, mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. that can be like just just let let the emotion be there and just acknowledge it like i i completely understand how you might feel that way and you know say more about that yeah one of my uh, favorite pieces of feedback i received during a, a change project was um this is the stupidest thing you could do yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> where do we go with that mm -hmm. so it prompted a number of okay let's go out and talk to people let's let's see what's behind that and we got lots of great input and they they demonstrated okay you say that changing the numbering system for our projects is a simple change in leadership. It is a simple change, it's super simple. Okay, but here's the impact of that. Yeah. When we have an invoice come in, based on the current numbering system, which actually encodes a bunch of information like year cost center type of project, we can actually uh, process that invoice in about two seconds. With your new numbering system, we lose all that data. I have to go look it up on a system. I now it takes me 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. What is the... Um, percentage increase of work from two seconds to 10 seconds, huge, multiply that by hundreds of invoices. And we yeah. went, oh. Jeff, when I read that page in the book, <laughs> I didn't like the new numbering system. <laughs> and I just learned about the old one in the lines preceding. I'm like, well, that makes sense. I get so much data there. This new one, oh. yeah. So it was a great example of not taking the time to assess Potential mm -hmm. barriers, what looked good for one group, IT, didn't look group look good for many other groups. Mm -hmm. But to Lori's point of sometimes people just need to uh, be heard, we didn't end up changing directions. We came back and said, we're staying the course, we're still making this change, but we're going to do some things for you. It won't completely solve the pain you're going to experience, but it will help. And when we went live, we had zero noise about that. I think they just needed to know, hey, at least we were considered and there is some support for us. Um, yep. We'll get through it. I mean, yep. there, there's magic there, Jeff, and having people, people feel people heard wanna, and validated. Yeah. 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 And often people people want to be under, or they want to be heard even more than they want to be right. Oh, 100%. Like, Right. Like a lot of people get it. Like I don't get to make the call, but I need someone to at least acknowledge the impact on me or the concern that I have. And, yes. you know, it, as long as I've at least been heard, I don't have to be right. I can move on. Well, you'll get yourself there. Right. I was important yeah. enough to be considered in the mm -hmm. process, even mm -hmm. though they went a different direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll get myself there. Yeah. Versus yeah. you didn't even bother to ask. You don't even know, Jeff, how much more complicated my life's going to be because of your new stupid numbering system. <laughs> well, um, Jeff, I want to ask one more question before we open it up to questions from, from the other folks here. Um, you mentioned that middle managers are particularly critical when you're trying to do a quick transformation. Why is that? Best to illustrate with a story, of course. Um, so, you know, a leader steps up to the microphone and announces a big change, um, and it's it's pretty shocking. Um, it's going to be a merger, going to be a restructuring, whatever. And so there's a question period, and there are some questions, but it's, it's also kind of silent, and um, they wrap up the meeting, people leave it, they go back to their desk. 
and they sit there and they knew they huddle up and there's some questions and those questions when they have them where are they going to go and it's to their direct supervisor hey listen um you know from that announcement we were wondering number one question what's the impact on jobs yeah mm-hmm. And the manager has not been briefed well mm-hmm. or is not really savvy and says, I don't know. What's, ah. the, what's the credibility of the whole project, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm you don't know my what's job. going I know on. That. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. now the, the flip side is really, it's really easy to paint that picture. I come back, I have questions, and the manager says, Ah, yes, we've been discussing that. We haven't had it all worked out yet, but that's on the timeline. Well, I'll have an answer for you in 30 days. Okay. Right. I don't have an answer, but now I know there's a plan. What does that foster? Right. Sense of control. Mm-hmm. Right. So now we're tying these things together. So uh, managers are so critical because they're often um, the first or second point of questions about a change. Yep. And on the other end of it, as we're coming up to the change, if it's going to take place. If my manager is not seen to be on board What's mm-hmm. my level of commitment? Oh, yeah. And I see this all the time. So when we're heading up to a change, um, I'm always on the team saying we have to go talk to some people and ask them how they perceive their their leaders to be stepping up. Really? Yes. We're going to ask the tough questions. And if it comes back and they say, not really seeing evidence that my manager's on board, then you as the executive need to go have a one-on-one with them. Because if you don't, you're risking the return you're looking for in your change. Mm. Oh, that is good stuff. That is good stuff. All right. I want to open it up to questions. Anybody here on the call have questions for Jeff talking about change? We've hit on a lot of topics here today. A lot of things that I, you know, I think... Um, I know Morag Ruby and I have used and and have leaned on, and, and Lori as well, um, what's popping for anybody? Ruby leans in because I know Ruby's got shit to say. <laughs> I was waiting to see if Morag was going to come off mute or Lori. <laughs> see, they're both coughing off. <laughs> I'll go. Um, man, I'm coming up with all kinds of C words, but I think. <laughs> it's a family show. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah. See, uh, positive and negative, of course, but um, the control. Yeah, I think ultimately at the end of the day, it really comes down to control and comfort. Mm -hmm. Like with that scenario you just expressed, Jeff, is so true where that uncertainty just leads to this discomfort, honestly, with so many people. Um, You know, where do we go from here? What's it going to look like? How are we going to get there? What's the pace of change, et cetera, et cetera. And so many questions. And so calming people down, Mm -hmm. I think probably one of the big Mm -hmm. roles of those folks. And yeah, being a coach, we understand how great the gap is. Uh, So many people don't know how to coach and don't know how to walk through these scenarios, they just get the automatic promotion because they did some good things and they're ill-equipped to really follow through on being able to be a true leader, I think. So, yeah, it's, it's very true, Lori. Anytime I've brought up that as a fact that your leaders are unprepared, I've never had an executive argue with me. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Funny you know, we, you know <laughs> we don't do any training in that area or we don't do any training at all for our leaders, which is even worse. Um, but yes. Um, but on the flip side, 
we can give them basics very rapidly. So I, I say the best friend is the best friend you have is the check-in. So if I come to Lori and say, and I look sincerely in her eyes and say, how are you doing? Yeah. You know, we've been talking a lot about this change coming up. And I got to say, I've, I've been hearing some rumblings that, you know, maybe folks aren't feeling as positive as others might be. How are you doing? Or one of my favorite questions, if maybe Lori's a bit shy or reserved, is what do you think is on people's minds? Ooh, because like now Lori diffusion. doesn't have to talk from her perspective. Her yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. She can share what she thinks is on others' mind, but what is she likely to do anyways? You bet she's going to tell me what she's thinking, but she can do it under the guise of, yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, other people are a little scared and, you know, Mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's great tactic um, to help people open up. I love that. Thanks, Lori. Well, that's, that's also that whenever there's the, there's all the planning for the special few who are in the know, Mm -hmm. then there's the announcement right? Where everybody starts at their change curve. Right. And then there's the long tail after. And I think, right, everybody who was in the planning has this big sigh of relief on announcement day. Ah, it's out there. It's done. All that hard work. We can relax now. Like, weird, (laughs) weird. The work has just begun. And and because I act as a consultant, I have to get asked. So, how long do we need to keep you after we flip the switch? And like, well, it's up to you. But if you expect sustained change, yeah. it's probably not one week and it's probably not 30 days. I always say it's a minimum of 90 to really ensure that we've mm-hmm. embedded new behaviors. Mm-hmm. And another piece that often gets mess- missed is what's the handoff to the business? Because that project team is going to you know, come apart, go back to uh, their respective mm-hmm. areas. And then who is there to answer questions? Who's going to make decisions? Um, that stuff has to be worked out and is typically not done before yeah. they make the transition. Mm-hmm. Ruby, what you got? Uh, well, I was thinking, I love that um, you talked about the check-in. Um, I always think about a really big change that I had um, at my last sort of corporate gig, our company laid off, like just under the legal allotment it was like 32% of our workforce in one day. Um, And I was still there. And I remember my leader, it was Jody, um, someone that we all know. Mm -hmm. And she did the check-ins with us daily. And she had teams that were combined. And one tactic that I love that she did was um, she brought us all together and she'd be like, what questions do you have? And she created the spreadsheet of questions and and she just kept it going. And between meeting to meeting, she would go talk to the senior VP of marketing or then she'd go to the CEO's office and start to find out what she could. And even though she couldn't find all the answers, it gave us that control and it helped us feel like she was looking out for us. And I just thought it was so wise on that group level, pulling in questions, trying to understand where the gaps were and what people were worried about. And then just the drop by of the, how are you doing? What do you need? You know, and and if I was not having a good day, it was okay. There's something really important about that. Um, It's okay to, to express and be who, how you're feeling today. Yeah. Instead of trying to fix it or shut it down. Folks, that's best practice. Uh, Yeah, I can't improve on that. So I love daily is really good, especially uh, right after a change. And especially when you've got an emotionally charged event, uh, which that would be. Um, Note what she didn't do. She didn't go go do a survey. 
right? And say, yeah. hey, folks, one to five, how you doing? Ugh. And, and good luck yeah. acting on that, right? So that, that's another <laughs> yeah. error that gets made. And and so many organizations are surveyed to death um, uh, that that it really needs to be personal in these emotionally charged yeah. type of events. So that that's a really good share. Mm-hmm. Thanks for being Mm-hmm. Morag, you got anything? No, for once I've been listening. I've just been enjoying the whole conversation because <laughs> that whole change is it's endless. And I feel personally I'm here. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, look at your camera mm-hmm. zooming in as you touch your nose. Hello. <laughs> you should see what it does when I touch. Oh. No. <laughs> okay, so that was it. Under my <laughs> I've lost my train of thought now. <laughs> Jeff's Canadian. We got to keep it clean. Hi. <laughs> so, Jeff, where do people go to find out more about Jeff and to get the book? Uh, JeffSkipperConsulting.com is the destination. Uh, the book is available on, on, I think, any platform you can think of digitally. Uh, hard copies from Amazon around the world. Uh, so I'd welcome that as well. Um, I love helping. So on my site, there's a number of free downloads. Help yourself to that. I write weekly on the topic of change and strategy, always something new. Um, so I, I just encourage you to take advantage of that. Love it. His name awesome. is Jeff Skipper. The book is called Dancing with Disruption. Leading Dramatic Change During Global Transformation. Jeff, this has been great. Let's give Jeff big applause. All right. You get the big woo too, Jeff. You get the big one. <laughs> All right. We're going to shift into our end of show ritual. And Jeff, as I told you in pre-show, you're welcome to stick around. But if you've got commitments in real life, by all means, meet those commitments. We are going to go into our funny things. (laughs) Funny thing number one, this is a a very Christmas season-y kind of thought. Um, I don't know who needs to hear this, but stop trying to track that package. (laughs) It's in God's name. (laughs) Refresh, refresh, refresh. (laughs) I, I know this one because I've had two deliveries that require a signature that FedEx has given up on, and I'm trying to negotiate some sort of meeting place where I can grab my packages. <sighs> this one, this one just made me giggle because it's, it's a vampire. I have crossed the oceans of time to speak with you about your car's extended warranty. <laughs> I'm keeping myself sharp by regularly asking myself tough questions like, what happened yesterday and what was I planning on doing just now? <laughs> I don't know about you people, but that's Sorry my Yeah. And in the spirit of Morag having a party, um, because I know Morag and I know me, this is me planning a party. Bye <laughs> uh, <laughs> bye. You can get you can get cocktail napkins that say that. Please leave. I by didn't nine. get those ones, and I have food and um, libations that will take us to at least nine thirty. <laughs> wow, going deep, going deep for the middle-aged crowd. This one made me giggle because Lori and I do this to each other. 
waiting for my husband to see the meme I texted him from across the room. Totally. Oh, but my favorite funny thing today was from the Washington State Department of Natural Resources. And they're just reminding you, despite what you hear in the song, it is reckless and illegal to give your true love any amount of wild birds for Christmas. No partridges, no turtle doves, no geese, no French hens. Oh, that's funny. That's <laughs> uh, good. Uh, all right, today's Good Feel story, it's about giving. With the season of giving upon us, CBS's Steve Hartman goes on the road for a story about a man who lived a simple life but gave more than anyone could have imagined. Here at Teacher's Treasures, a free store for educators who need school supplies, Executive Director Margaret Sheehan is still stunned at her good fortune. It was an act of amazing kindness. After someone called to offer her nonprofit more than a million dollars. To which I responded, I need to sit down. And it wasn't just her. For the past two years, across the city of Indianapolis, dozens of other nonprofits have gotten the same call. The first thing he said is, what would you do with a million dollars? We hovered above our own bodies, <laughs> thinking like, is this real? The man making the calls was attorney Dwayne Isaacs, and he says just about everyone had that same reaction. Okay. Some wouldn't even hear him out. Probably three or four different entities that lost out because they just didn't take my call. Lost out on a million dollars. Yeah. It was that unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And you still haven't heard the most unbelievable part. The money isn't his. He's just the executor. The money belonged to a guy named Terry Kahn. Terry worked 30 years for the Veterans Administration. He had no immediate family, and most importantly... He just was unbelievably frugal. Terry lived in this modest house in South Indianapolis, drove an old Honda, and refused to carry a cell phone because he said they cost too much. Even when he died back in 2021, he wanted no announcement because who would spend good money on an obituary? <laughs> the man was Pennywise, but pound generous. Everything was directed to charity, but Terry didn't specify what charity, so Duane called around to see who wanted it. And in the end, about a dozen nonprofits took his call and got a share of the $13 million estate. So yeah, it's crazy. Including wow. 1.5 million for teachers' treasures, roughly double their annual budget. Forever changed because of his choice and how he lived. He's smiling someplace, there's no doubt about it. He would be getting a kick out of this. Yes. If only because he just got a glowing obituary on CBS News. <laughs> and it didn't cost him a dime. Steve Hartman on the road in Indianapolis. Oh, Steve Hartman, keeping the awesome. faith in humanity. Wow. Love it. Today's, today's semi-quarantine cocktail is called Slade. It's a riff on the Santa's sleigh cocktail. You're going to need two cups of store-bought eggnog. Don't go making this nog yourself, folks. Store-bought eggnog, chilled. One sleigh from the 2003 movie Elf. Half a cup of brandy. 2003? Really? Mm. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Half a cup of yeah. amaretto. 
A gentleman by the name of Mark Bozek bought the sleigh after the movie wrapped for $12,000. A little bit of ground nutmeg. And this used to live on his front lawn every Christmas. He donated it to that fire station that you see there in the background on the photo. And they made it a mainstay of their Christmas celebration. Um, a little bit of vanilla ice cream. It is now in Central Park oh, as part cool. of the movie's 20th anniversary celebration. Mm. Four cinnamon sticks, because this makes four servings. 20th anniversary of Elf. Doesn't even mm. make sense to me. I do not understand it at all. I want that cocktail. Oh. <laughs> mm -hmm. That looks amazing right mm -hmm. <laughs> with the sugared rim on the glass there and the cinnamon mm -hmm. stick in it oh i love it thank yeah. you everybody thanks to jeff skipper for being here today thank you all happy holidays have a wonderful time off if you get time off over the end of the year and we will see you back here in 2024 take care everybody thank you so much for joining us today if you had a good time and learned a thing or two at today's happy hour, please share it with your friends. If you want to join our tribe, head on over to skyteam.cloud forward slash TCB or email us at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again. And remember, you've always got friends at the Corporate Bartender.